You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Thanks uh, for joining us this morning. If this is your first time with us, uh, we would like to give you a free gift. We have a a sippy cup, a water bottle, or a uh, new and improved coffee tumbler. And you can pick up one of those if this is your first time out at the uh, information desk or our gift to you. If any of you have prayer requests, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. You can fill that out and drop it over in the uh, offering slot or if you have questions about our, our church. I, I've been thinking about a verse lately in, in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, we have as our ambition to be pleasing to God. And I realized I think more, a lot more about pleasing myself than I do about pleasing God on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I've noticed that when I do think about what pleases God rather than what pleases me, the outcome is always better. That instant gratification never turns out as well as actually doing what God tells me to. And I found that especially in relationship to people. If I go with what comes natural, I'd rather just stay home and uh, uh, surf the net or uh, stream a movie or something like that. But I know I need people. I need to be with people. And when I get together with my, my community group and, and we read the Bible together, it's, there's just such a sense of fulfillment and, and unity. And that's if, why we have community groups here is just to give us a chance to be together, to pray together, to encourage each other, and to read the Bible together. If you're not in a community group uh, you can go to our website, and there's information there. You can email me or Rachel Butler. At, uh, information is in your bulletin, and we'll get you connected with, uh, with one. Several years ago, I was talking to a, a captain in the Army who had served in Iraq for 17 years, and his job was to train the Iraqi Army. And I said, how was that? And he said, it was really hard. He says, most of them were very poor shots. And I said, why? And he said, well, most of them, they would close their eyes, squeeze the trigger, and say, God's will be done. And I thought, that's the way I pray. Because often I will, I will shoot up a prayer and figure if it was something God was going to do anyway, if it was God's will, it'll happen. And if it's not God's will, it's not going to happen. And, and that's not faith. That's fatalism. Fatalism is the belief that everything that happens has already been preordained. And there's nothing we can do to affect that. And I think the reason a lot of people don't pray is because they believe their prayers don't really change anything. Let me show you what I mean. In 1 John 5, John writes, and this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we've asked from him. A lot of us interpret that to meaning asking according to his will means asking for the things that it is God's will to do. So it's like there's these two inboxes in heaven. And one box says in his will. 
And if you pray for something that's God's will to do, that will get all the way up to the throne of, of heaven. But if you pray for something that's not God's will for do, that goes in the other box and gets dumped in the trash. Now, how motivated are you to pray? Because we really don't know what is God's will to do in most cases. And yet, John is talking about how we can have confidence in our prayers. Well, there's another way to interpret this. I think it's a much more biblical way. Is Praying according to God's will is not praying for the right things. Praying in God's will is praying in the way God tells us to pray. Uh, it's, it's, when the Bible talks about what we can pray for, the sky is the limit. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do, that the Son may be glorified. The word, Bible uses words like anything, whatever, all things for which you pray and ask. There's no limits on what we can pray for, yet there are very specific instructions about how we're to pray. And we're going to look at some of those instructions this morning as we continue in James, as James tells us specifically when to pray. Church history tells us that the Apostle James' nickname was Camel Knees because he had such thick calluses on his knees from hours and hours he spent in prayer. And so it's not surprising that James has a lot to say about prayer in this letter and I want to review real quickly some of the things we've learned from James about prayer before we look at the passage today. Remember back in chapter 1, he said, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach it will be given to him. Need wisdom? Need to know the right thing to do? Just ask. The sky's the limit. You can ask for, you can ask for wisdom, but look at how you're supposed to ask. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You can ask for anything, ask for wisdom, but ask in faith. Believe that God is going to answer your prayer. We've seen that a double-minded man is a theme that runs throughout this, this letter. Double-minded means uncommitted. It means... I don't know if I'm going to go God's way or I'm going to go the world's way. So when you ask in faith, it means you're committed to doing what God tells you to do, and then God will answer. In chapter 4, James talks about the conflicts that people are having because they're all striving and struggling and competing for the same things. And James says the problem is not that your people are cheating you out of what you need or working harder than you or more deserving or more privileged than you. Look what he says. You do not have because you do not ask. Why don't you have what you need? Didn't ask for it. Didn't ask for it. I, I really believe there are some things that God will do whether we ask him to or not. He will perfect the good work he began in us. He will take us to heaven. He will fulfill his plan for our lives. And there are some things that God will not do even if you ask him every day for the rest of your life because he knows what we need, he knows what can harm us, and he's not, as a good father, going to give us something that will ultimately hurt us and other people. 
But there's a whole bunch of stuff that God will do if you ask him. And I would rather get to heaven and have God say, why did you ask me for so much stuff? Then ask me, show me all the things he would have done if I would have only asked him. And I've, in my experience, anything, I can't think of too many things that I haven't persistently asked God to do that he didn't do. You have not because you ask not. You can ask for anything, but look how to ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask for the wrong things? No. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so you may spit it on your pleasures. If my requests are motivated by my sinful desires rather than God's glory and the good of my neighbor, God's not going to answer because he knows that will hurt me and it will hurt other people. So James has already kind of laid down this thing. You can ask for anything, but be careful how you ask. And now in the chapter we're going to look, or the passage we're going to look at this morning from chapter 5, James tells us specifically when we're to pray. Now I know Paul says pray without ceasing, but none of you do that. So let's, this, is, this will be a lot more practical, okay? And James says to pray three times. Pray when you're hurt. Pray when you're happy. And pray when you're sick. Okay, so... Real simple stuff. Let's pray and ask God to teach us. Thank you, Father, for the incredible privilege you've given us to be able to bring our needs and desires to you and that you act on behalf of those who pray. We pray that you'll give us wisdom to understand your word, to believe it, to apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First time that James says we're to pray is to pray when you hurt. Look what he says. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Our granddaughter was, was born with a partially formed heart. And so she went into surgery the day after her birth. Um, a very complicated surgery that they were basically constructing half of her heart. And I remember sitting in the... Uh, cafeteria at Children's Hospital with the other grandparents, and we were just praying and sitting there and waiting for word, and finally the nurse came in with the best possible news that the, the surgeons had been able to construct an entire heart, and something they had expected would take several operations had all been done in one, and there was just such a sense of God's quiet miracle, but now we had to pray because we didn't know if that heart would work. And she spent the next five weeks in the NICU at, at uh, Children's. And I remember one particular night, we got word that her oxygen levels were low and she just wasn't doing well at all. And it just felt such an overwhelming sense of darkness and sadness. And so we called the Creekside prayer chain and people began to pray for her and within half an hour or so there was just I just felt a, a lightning and the sense of God's presence and comfort that was going to be okay the next morning uh, normally I would go to the hospital at the end of the day after work but Lori couldn't go that morning so I went and I was the first one in the family to get there 
And the nurse on duty said she had had a major turnaround that night. Her oxygen levels were up. Color was great. And that was the time that the progress really began. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Why should we pray when we suffer? Because that's the purpose of suffering. Suffering is to get us into God's presence. It's, it's to enable us to experience God and his comfort and his power in ways we never would be able to otherwise. So James says, don't waste the suffering. When you're suffering, you suffer, you must pray. And, and that's Paul's theme in the whole letter of 2 Corinthians. Paul, Paul says, God delivers us over to death so that we won't trust in ourselves, but in him who raises the dead. And, and that theme of God using suffering to strip us of our self-dependence and to make us totally dependent on him so we can experience his power runs all the way through the letter. I want to do the, uh, one passage from 2 Corinthians 12. I was going to inundate you with scripture, but I decided not to. Um, Paul writes, one back please. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul wrote much of the New Testament, and, and he wrote what God revealed to him to write. And whenever God significantly uses somebody who has a problem, we tend to become full of ourselves and become useless to God. So God has a way of humbling us, and to keep Paul humble and usable, God gave him some kind of painful, debilitating disease. It might have been an eye disease. We don't know. But Paul called it a messenger of Satan to keep me from exalting myself. It was limiting. It was painful. And Paul responded in the right way. He prayed. Get back, please. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul prayed that God would heal him. And God said, you don't need to be healed. What you need is my power. And you're going to experience my power and my presence as you go through this suffering. Now, how do you respond when God says no to you? Look at how Paul responds. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul embraces the suffering because he knows it gives him more of God. It gives him more of Christ, that he will experience God's presence, God's power, usefulness to God in ways he would never experience if he wasn't going through this suffering. That's why James says, when you suffer, pray. 
because that's the purpose of the suffering is to strip us of our own pride and self-dependence and remind us of how much we need God so we can experience all the more of God. David says in Psalm 119, it's good that I was afflicted so that I might learn your commandments, I might learn your word. So what should you pray when you suffer? Well, in chapter 1, James says three things. First of all, he says rejoice. Remember what he said? He said, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. James says you cannot become Christ-like without suffering. Jesus learned obedience through his suffering, and we're on the same training track. So first thing, when you suffer, rejoice, because this is essential for you becoming perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. That's number one. Second, as we saw, ask for wisdom. That, that verse about asking for wisdom, which Hebrews thought of as skill in living, knowing the right thing, that's in the context of, of suffering. And when you suffer... If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach shall be given to him. I have found I make some of the worst decisions when I'm suffering because I want to alleviate the suffering, right? When, when our daughter was just entering adolescence, she had to get a physical for a church camp she was going to, and it was pretty routine, so just took her, and, and, and our doctor says there's a, there's a strange mass in her abdomen. And we were scared to death because we didn't know what it might be. And I remember took her home, and Lori and I, we were scared, we were worried, so we said, let's go to the movies. And we just took our kids that day in the middle of the day to the movies. Bad choice. Guys, I don't remember what the movie was, some silly kid's movie, but, but we didn't enjoy the movie because we're just sitting there worried about our daughter and what, what's going on in her, and what we should have done instead of going to the movies, we should have prayed and asked God, give us wisdom of what we should do in this situation to involve him and involve his comfort and his help. So rejoice when you suffer because you know that it's all necessary to you to become everything God wants you to be. Then ask for, what do I do? This is a, this is a hard thing. Well, how, how should I handle this? Give me wisdom. And then third, Thank God for the blessings that are coming in eternity because you go through this. Look what he says in verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised those who love him. Up in, in verse, verse 2, it was the, the benefits that will come to you in this life through suffering. Verse 12 is about the benefits that you will come to you in eternity, that, that anything you go through here you will be paid back many times over in eternity. So thank God. Thank you for the, the heavenly savings account that's being, the interest is being paid in this for I will experience when I, when I get there. So the point is, is that one time that you should always pray is pray when you suffer. Because it is impossible to become what Christ has made us to be without deep suffering. And we need God's grace. We need his presence. We need his power, especially during those times. The second time to pray 
James says is when you're happy. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Now, do you ever read a verse in the Bible and say, I have never even tried to obey that command? Because when I'm cheerful, that's the last, praying is the last thing I think about, right? I don't need to pray. Everything's going great. And I begin to think about that. If the only time I seek God is when I'm going through a hard time, I'm going to have a lot of hurt. Because God wants me to know him, and he wants to know me. And if if it takes suffering to get you into my presence, okay, your choice. So I better learn to sing praises when I'm happy. And that's the problem. I don't sing. I was a music major, and I don't sing. In fact, not only do I not sing, I don't listen to people sing. It's sports radio all day. And so this is a command I've never applied in my life. I feel like a swim coach talking to a group of experienced swimmers telling you about how I learned to float. But I am, I am really retarded in this. But I, I, you know, and the fact that I can't sing doesn't matter because Paul says we're to sing in our hearts. So even though my voice doesn't sing, I can sing in my heart. And so I thought, I've, I've got to learn how to sing praises. Now, I'm not a composer, so I can't compose, so I'm going to have to steal somebody else's praises. So I, just real practically, I picked one of my favorite hymns, uh, Before the Throne of God Above. And this week, every day during my time with the Lord, I, I sing it to the Lord. And hopefully I'll remember the words someday. So I, can, so I can sing it during the day, and then I've got another hymn on my list, but it's just it's that mechanical. But, but the point is, is that I have to train myself to pray when I'm happy, because that's what it says. And it's interesting, scientists have found that having, having an attitude of praise and gratitude does incredible things for your mind and for your health. It, it makes you more empathetic toward people. It lowers your blood pressure. You sleep better. Uh, Your immune system is healthier. All these things happen. And the encouraging thing for people like me is that you don't have to be naturally, have natural gratitude. You can train yourself. You can practice uh, having a gratitude journal or singing hymns and stuff like that. And more and more will become become, um, natural for you. So, again... I'm, I'm starting at square one. I know a lot of you are much further along. You're much more musical, and you, you know all the hymns and the great songs. But I just had to share that with you. Pray when you're happy, because uh, if you don't, God will use something else to get you into his presence, okay? Now, third one, pray when you're sick. And, and in this case, it's not you praying so much as you getting somebody else to pray for you. Look what, what uh, James says. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must, there's another must, he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray for over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. As long as we've had elders, we've prayed for the sick. And we've seen some incredible things happen as we've done that. Yet, not many people ask us to pray for them. 
In fact, when I will suggest it to somebody, they'll usually say something like, I'm not that sick. And, and my question is, why don't people want to claim this promise? And I think it's a couple of reasons. I think in our time, people think that if I want to know about God, I'll go to church. If I want to get well, I'll go to the doctor, right? I mean, if I have a leak under the sink, I'll go to a plumber, not to the elders. Though we do have some elders that are pretty good at plumbing. But I think we make this division. See, God does the spiritual stuff, but the medical profession handles the, the medical stuff. And it's not either or. It's both and. I mean, ultimately, God heals everything, right? I mean, he created our bodies to heal themselves. And if the medical profession does anything, it's just helping your body to heal itself. And so don't divide uh, yourself between spiritual and physical. Everything works together. I think the other reason that people don't want the elders to come and pray for them is you got this sin thing. Notice he says, if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven. What's the connection between sin and sickness? Well, according to the Bible, all sickness is not the result of personal sin. We get sick because we live in a fallen world, in fallen bodies, that are slowly dying, so being sick is normal. Yet, the Bible does teach that some sickness is the result of sin. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. That is, if I judge that what I did was a sin and I confess it to God, I won't be judged. But if I'm judged by the Lord, I'm disciplined by him so that I will not be condemned along with the rest of the world. So God judges his children in this life and disciplines his children to, to help us to let go of our sins. He judges everyone else who's not his child in the next life. And so if I'm hanging on to some sin, if I refuse to confess some sin, it may be that my sickness is a result of my refusal to repent. It may be that I refuse to, to, to forgive somebody. Or it may be that I'm, I'm doing something I know God doesn't want me to do, but I keep doing it, and, and God, to help me to change, okay, here's a, here's a little virus to work on. And so when we call the elders, we need to go to God first and, and ask him, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Is my sickness the result of something I need to repent of? And if it is, when the elders come, I need to confess that. I say, I think I know why I may be sick. I need to confess this. Here's what I've done. And the elders will say, yeah, we did that too. And, and uh, no condemnation, but that's what he says, the prayer of a righteous man. So if you're sick, call the elders, have us come. And if you need to confess a sin that may be connected to that sickness, do it. And the promise is you'll be healed. Does that make sense? Those are the three times James says to pray. Now he tells us why to pray. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Why pray? Because God answers prayer. God answers prayer. John Wesley said, 
God does nothing apart from prayer and everything by prayer. There are things that God will only do if we ask him. And that's why the effective prayer, and by that I think he means praying in the way God commands us to pray in the Bible. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Why? Because God gets involved. Because God answers that prayer. And then as an example of the power of prayer, James reminds us of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a sinner like you and me. Some days Elijah was courageous. Some days he was a coward. Some day he was up. Some days he was down. He's just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was a prophet to Israel in a time when the whole nation had turned from God to worship the Canaanite god Baal, who they believed was the king of heaven and in charge of the weather. And because Israel was an agricultural nation, dependent upon the rain, they worshipped Baal through sacrificing their children, through ritualized sex, through cutting their bodies, trying to get Baal to send the rain. And the whole nation had turned from God to follow Baal because of their need for rain. And they ignored all of the prophets God sent to them. So Elijah went to the root of the problem. He went to King Ahab, who was an evil king who was leading his nation into this because of his even eviler. Is that a a word, eviler? His worst wife, Jezebel. And Elijah confronts Ahab, and he says, so that you know that Baal does not control the weather, it's not going to rain again. And Elijah prays that it won't rain, and it doesn't. It doesn't rain for three and a half years, and and so there's a famine, and the livestock die, and a lot of people die, and you say, how did did Elijah know to pray that? Well, because back in Deuteronomy, God says, if you turn to other, other gods, I will send drought and famine. So Elijah just prayed that God would do what he said he would do. So three and a half years go by, and, and Ahab has his agents all over Israel trying to track down Elijah and, and have him killed, and he can't. And then Elijah sends him a message and wants to meet him. And when he meets Ahab, he says, gather all of the pro- priests of Baal on Mount Carmel, along with all Israel. And we'll have a war of the gods. So Ahab gets all the priests of Baal, 450 of them, and all of Israel at Mount Carmel. And Elijah addresses the nation and says, how long will you halt between two opinions? If God, if the Lord is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. See, they were trying to play both sides of the track. You know, they, they said, well, we worship God, but we also worship Baal, just to cover all our bases. Choose one. But the people keep quiet. They say nothing. 
So he said, here's what we're going to do. We'll kill two oxen. And the priests of Baal can sacrifice their ox to Baal. And I'll sacrifice the other ox to the Lord. And the God who answers with fire, he's the true God. And Israel says, good idea, let's do that. So all day long, the priests of Baal are dancing around their altar to Baal with the ox on it, begging Baal to send fire. They're cutting themselves with knives. They're just, they're in a frenzy. And Elijah's sitting beside mocking him. And if you want to read the passage in, in 2 Kings, it's pretty funny, some of the things he says. But anyway, nothing happens. And then Elijah gathers all Israel to God's altar. And he says, bring water. And they keep pouring water on the ox, on the wood, on the stone, until the whole altar is, is covered and awash with water. And then, God, then Elijah prays, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I have done all this according to your word. And fire falls from heaven and not only consumes the ox, but consumes the wood, the stones, even the dust. And all the people shout, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they kill all the priests of Baal. Then Elijah sits with his head between his legs and prays. And pretty soon the sky grows dark with clouds for the first time in three and a half years. And three years of rain falls on Israel. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. One of the most valuable things I've ever done is just to make a list of what I need God to do and begun to pray for those things regularly and have seen God answer so many of the things. Elijah, to his knowledge, was the only believer in God in his whole nation. His nation resisted all the prophets, and yet he prayed, and God acted. Think about the influence God gives us as individual believers just by praying. Just by praying. It's the best privilege we have, so use it. Let me close with this. Notice it's not the effective prayer of anybody. It's the effective prayer of a righteous person who can accomplish much. And in the Bible, nobody is righteous because of their behavior. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Righteousness is a gift that God credits to those who put their faith in Christ. God declares us righteous the minute we ask Jesus to be our Savior and Lord that we trust that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead that we might live forever. And when we call on him and ask him to be our Savior, God declares us righteous with his righteousness. And that's why we can come before God with confidence that he will answer our prayers because he says, your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. By one offering I've made you perfect for all time. So if you're not a Christian today, if you haven't Ask Christ to be your Savior. And you want to experience his presence in your life and also the incredible privilege God gives us to answer our prayers. You can, uh, the Bible says that 
uh, if you uh, believe in your, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ask Jesus to be your Lord, and he'll come into your life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer you've given us. Forgive us for not taking advantage of that privilege. And I pray that we will come to you, that you might show yourself strong on our behalf for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.